Amen. Amen. Um, good morning. Good to see you today. I'm so excited to be here and uh, be able to open the Word of God with you today. Again, we're in John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Um, we want to celebrate some things. You know, uh, that's Pastor Johnny Hunt. He's the head of um, evangelism for the North American Mission Board. And he says, when one person in heaven comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, heaven rejoices. Amen? And what's incredible is that uh, even yet this week, uh, Pastor Mike and Sue, uh, I, just, I was asking my daughter something on the way up here because I wanted to make sure I had the facts right. But they're down uh, in Shipshawana. Anybody know where Shipshawana is? Uh, where that's at? Okay, that's where all the Amish folk hang out. Uh, they went to the Blue Gate last night, if you've ever been down there. And uh, they have fried chicken, noodles, all that stuff. And they went to see Holland, right? Holland, the Christian rapper with the Amish, right? I just think that's great. But, you know, hey, you know. Um, Anyways, so this past week, Mike had the opportunity to lead one of his family members to Jesus Christ. And amen. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing six adults that have put their faith and want to go public. Amen. And... uh, Man, what, a, what an incredible series this has been, and uh, we're excited. Next Sunday, we start our missions uh, month, and that will segue into our missions conference. Today, when you leave the services, you'll be given a, a missions prep guide. And uh, over the next three weeks, uh, one, uh, we're going to have um, uh, each of our missionary biographies are in there, our, our guest speakers that are coming in, their biographies will be in there. Uh, next Sunday night, we're having our family gathering, and if you haven't been to one of those, you're missing out. Uh, we're going to do um, some international desserts next Sunday night. Uh, Trace leches cupcakes from uh, Brazil. No, those are from Mexico, right? Thanks. And then we're going to have something that's Portuguese but is the equivalent of chocolate truffles. Can I get a witness? And then our, uh, to, to represent our church planters in Arkansas, can, oh, man, this is good because uh, I'm from the south. We're going to have biscuits and chocolate gravy. Amen. And if you've never had chocolate gravy, I don't really know that you've lived, right? And so, (laughs) anyways, um, man, make plans to be with us for our missions conference. To some degree, it's one of the biggest things that we do all year, and it's a business meeting that we have all week long. And we meet as a church to consider what we can do in the effort of world evangelization. And friends, I know that asking you to come out on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, and then go to a brunch or a breakfast on Sunday, and then a missions banquet on Sunday afternoon, or sorry, Saturday and then Sunday, I know that's asking a lot of you as one of your pastors, but I want to tell you something. Our missionaries, they pack up their families and everything they have, and they go across the world to make sure that people that are far from God and those who are forgotten have an opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so for us as a church to gather for three nights out of the year uh, is a very small ask to some degree in order to make sure that those who don't know Jesus have an opportunity to put their faith and trust in them. So I trust that as you leave today, you'll grab one of those prep guys, you'll look at the schedule, and uh, mark your calendars and work that around um, your schedule. And I just believe that as a church, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we need to understand about church is the church, you know, we're not a building, right? Um, the church is the people of God. In fact, we've talked about this a lot around here, and the reality is, is that um, the church is a movement, right? And um, the church gathers on Sunday and it goes, it goes out Monday through Saturday. And since we're a movement, we need to recognize and kind of just wrap our heads around the reality that movements, okay, movements do what? Movements move. And listen, if you're not part of the movement, right, 
then you're not moving in the direction that Christ has called those of us who followed him. In fact, one of the things that I really want us to understand this morning is that God wants us to move beyond the gathering. I think so often as Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ, we think that we're okay if we're coming on Sunday morning and and we're doing the, the moralistic things that we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus Christ. But God has called us to so much more. In fact, he wants us to move from being an audience to, to some degree, being an army of followers of Christ who are going out into this world, making sure that those who do not know Christ as their Savior have that opportunity to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. So we've been given this mandate. And that's why a series like Who's Your One is so important, and it should be a priority to some degree in our lives individually and corporately as a church because we've been commissioned. We've, we've been made ambassadors to the forgotten and those who are far from God. One could argue from the scriptures that to some degree, disciples, if you're truly a disciple, if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, at some level, we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Yet, right, let's be honest. For many of us, it can be kind of a fearful thing, right? So last night, my wife and I, we got a call from some folks. It was kind of a last-minute deal, and they asked us to go out to dinner. Uh, And there are a couple that we've been kind of trying to share Christ with and share our faith with. And we get to dinner. We go to this, like, uh, really cool uh, dive restaurant up in Bradley, Bourbon area. And uh, it was good. You know, I had a barbecue sandwich, and she had a grilled cheese pork sandwich. It was awesome, right? And as the food's coming out, in my mind, I'm thinking, do I pray for the dinner? Because I don't want to be the preacher tonight. You know, I don't want this to be awkward. You know, we actually got asked to go out with some people that don't go to church. And we, you know, this is kind of cool, you know. <laughs> I don't know, man. And so I'm just sitting there, you know. And, uh, you know, we're having conversations. And I mean, I'm like, oh, God, what do I do? You know, I don't want to push him away from Jesus. And, you know, all, you know what I'm, are you guys with me? Do you guys have those thoughts? So I just said, you know, hey, do you mind if I ask the Lord to bless our meal tonight? And so, you know, again, just those small steps. And I, and I, I share that with you just to say this. Like, man, I, I've been saved since I was five years old, you know, um, 35 years. I've been a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been in ministry now for 19 years. And to some degree, can I just say that it's often a fearful thing to share your faith and tell others about Jesus Christ? In fact, I want you to understand some, some things that I think might be helpful to you, and that's this. 67% of Americans say a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. And so 63% said, uh, 63% of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them uh, to visit a, a, a church. And so whether it's from a family member, right? So some of us this morning were like, oh, man, I don't want to invite my family to church because they're going to think I'm weird. Look, your family already knows you're weird, right? <laughs> so don't worry about that, right? But, but 67% of folks that were, that were, that were uh, uh, polled said, if, if a family member invited me, like, I would actually attend church with them. 63%, or, I'm sorry, 67% of folks, or uh, those things are backing up there, I'm sorry. Uh, either way, 60 plus percent, right? Of folks said, you know, if a friend invited me to come to church, like, I would actually come, right? And that should encourage us to not be afraid to ask others 
into a relationship with Christ or at a baseline, at least invite them into a service like this where they could hear the truth of God's word. And so what I want us to understand today, and this is really the big idea of the message, and that is this, never underestimate the power of bringing someone to Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, when we invite someone into what we've been invited into, and that is not an invitation to church, but an invitation to know Jesus, friends, that could change everything for the person that you've had the faith and the boldness to invite into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Will Arn said it this way. He said, we asked more than 50,000 people over the last 10 years why they came to church. And, and between 75 to 90% said, I began attending because someone invited me. Someone had enough faith. Someone had enough courage to invite me to come to church. Now listen to this. 2% said they came by advertisement. 6% by pastoral invitation. You guys with me? So either, A, pastors aren't inviting folks to church, or we just don't have the power of influence that everyday followers of Jesus Christ do. Can I get an amen? Are you guys with me? So it's not the pastor's job to invite folks to church, invite them into Jesus. It's our job as disciples of Jesus Christ. 6% said by an organized evangelistic campaign. And listen, 86% of people said, I came to church because a friend or a relative invited me to come to church or invited me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the reality. Tom Rainer says this. He goes, only 2%, only 2% of people invite the unchurched. So that means, like Mike said this last week, if we have 200 people here today, that means four of you this week invited someone into a relationship with Christ or into, uh, into a service such as this. Four out of all of us. And friends, I want to, I just, I don't know how you feel about that, but to some degree, that should bother us. It's not there to guilt or shame us. But if we're truly following Jesus and we truly want to be the disciples that God has called us to be, we have to move beyond the religiosity that we perform week in and week out and not addressing the reality that we're not reproducing in others what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And we find a wonderful example of this in the Word of God in John chapter 1 and verses uh, 35 through actually 42. And, and here's the deal. I had lunch this week with some pastors, because we all struggle with this. I had some lunch this week with some pastors, and, and, and I was there, and it was some older, some older seasoned pastors, and I was just trying to gain wisdom and ask questions and not offer a lot in that context and just trying to learn from these guys. And what stuck out to me was this. As I listened and I asked questions, I recognized a theme, and that was this. It was fear. And what happened was is that they were willing, both of these pastors, were willing to maintain the status quo in order not to rock the boat. And what I heard from both of them was that, that they regretted not making decisions that they should have made in order to see more people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, if you're going to impact others, it's not an option to, to, to not be bold. And one day, we may come to the end of our life, and listen, you may come one day to the end of your life and regret what you didn't do. You may regret that. And so we want to be a church that reaches the forgotten and the far from God. And scriptures teach us how we can make an impact by reaching one. Now in John chapter 1, look at verse 35. The Bible says the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by. He sees Jesus, man. John sees him and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away 
the sins of the world. And one of the greatest compliments in the entire Bible is found in verse 37 because the Bible says, when the two disciples heard him speak, it says in the ESV, when they heard him say this, when they heard him speak, when they heard John speak, they followed Jesus. Could you imagine if you had such an influence in the lives of others that when people heard you speak, they followed Jesus? When people heard you talk and when people heard you um, uh, speak in life, their natural inclination is to want to know more about Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what, what are you seeking? And he said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and, come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Verse 40. One of the two that heard John speak and followed Jesus, his name was Andrew. He was Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and he said to him, we, we found him. We found the Messiah, which, is the, which means Christ. And listen to what verse 42 says. He brought him to Jesus. And you don't know what to do, man. Just bring people to Jesus. He, he, Jesus looked at him and he said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Peter's brother, Andrew, is the least known of all the disciples. He's, uh, uh, he was one of the four in the inner circle, and he's ordinarily left very much out in the background. And we'll learn, too, that he was used by the Lord to touch the life of one man, his brother, Peter, who would then, in turn, bring thousands uh, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Andrew and John became Jesus' first disciples. The news that Andrew's heard, the news that Andrew heard that Jesus was and is the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, it was too good to keep to himself, so he went, and listen, he went and he found the one person that he loved the most, and he brought him to Jesus. He wanted him to know Jesus, and he led him to Christ. We don't know much about Andrew's life, but what we can learn from his life, and what we can learn for, from how the gospel impacted his life in this story in this narrative that we find in John chapter 1, 35 through 42, is this, we learn the power and influence of bringing one person to Jesus Christ. We learn that. We recognize what could happen, what, what, what transpires, and how it transforms the one that you bring to Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want us to take a few minutes just to consider, if you will, the approach to the mission of bringing others to Jesus through the eyes of and the life of Andrew. And the first thing that we see about Andrew's life is this, is that he saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of individual people. Andrew appreciated the value of a single person. He appreciated the value of a single soul, if you will. He was known for bringing individuals and not crowds to Jesus. In fact, almost every time that we see him in the gospel accounts, almost every time we see him Bringing people or persons, if you will, to Jesus Christ. Almost every time. What a testimony, right? Uh, And listen, we know the veracity of the Bible. We know the authenticity of the Bible because it tells about the, the sin and the failures of those who wrote the scriptures, those who lived in the word of God. And yet, here was a man who when his life was recorded historically in the word of God, almost every time we see him bringing someone to Jesus Christ. What a testimony. He brought Peter to Jesus, just one. He brought that little boy with his lunch to Jesus, just one. 
And what's interesting in this passage is what it doesn't say. What's interesting about this passage is what it doesn't say. And, and what it doesn't say is that Jesus wasn't teaching a class on evangelism. Are you guys with me today? Well, man, I'd really tell people about Christ if I, if I knew how to share my faith. Andrew's like, look, bro, I just met Christ, the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. And I need you to come with me because he's here and I want you to know him. Right? It doesn't get more simple than that. He just brought his brother to Jesus Christ. There was no who's your one initiative. His life ultimately had been touched by Christ. And now he was on a mission to reach his one. And friends, I want to tell you, when your life, listen to me this morning, when your life has been touched by the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ, it's all the motivation that you and I need in order to bring our one to Jesus Christ. And sometimes, it's, it's fair to say that sometimes we lose our passion. We lose our direction. Uh, we kind of, uh, for, some, for some of us, we tend to dial it in, if you will, and we play the religious game. And when that happens in our lives, we need to get a fresh look of the cross of Jesus Christ and remember what he did for us 2,000 years ago in shedding his blood and paying for our sins and laying in a grave for three days and victoriously coming out of the grave so that we could serve a risen Savior. Man, we need to get a fresh glimpse of the cross and the gospel today. Most people this morning do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in a crowded setting. They come because of the influence. They come because of the love of one person showing the love of Christ to an individual. And I think so often in our hurried culture and in the busyness of life, we overlook and we neglect the one. We neglect the individual person. Andrew brought one. He brought Peter. Peter brought thousands. Most people come because of the influence and love of an individual. And I want to I share with you, and maybe jot this down today, never underestimate the power of obedience. Some of you this morning are scared out of your minds to tell your friends and family and your neighbors and your coworkers and the people that you play ball with. we got high schoolers and college students in this room today. And yes, it is a fearful thing to step out in faith to tell other people about Jesus Christ. But Paul told Timothy, a young pastor who was a bit cowardly to some degree, he says, listen, God has not given us a spirit of of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, when you step out in faith to obey God, he always shows up to help us and enable us to do what he has called us to do. So Andrew brought his one. Peter, and Peter brought thousands. All the fruit of Peter's ministry is ultimately tied to the fruit of Andrew's individual witness. If I were to ask you this morning, and some may know, but if I were to ask you this morning, the majority of us this morning, if I were to ask the question, does anyone know who Edward Kimball is? Do you know who Edward Kimball is? And most of us this morning would probably say, you know, I, I've never heard the name Edward Kimball. But if I ask you this morning, do you know who D.L. Moody is? Most of us would say, I've heard of D.L. Moody, especially being from the city of Chicago. There's the Moody Church, and there's the Moody uh, Bible Institute. Uh, Moody never started the church and never pastored it, but he did start the Moody Bible Institute. But few people have ever heard of Edward Kimball. In fact, Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who who led D.L. Moody to Jesus Christ. Edwards went to a Boston shoe store where he saw the 18-year-old Moody, where he was working and, and, and cornered him in the stock room. 
And now Edward Kimball was a very reserved man, a very um, uh, educated man, and he was a man that, 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 didn't, that wasn't overtly pushy. He, if he did a disc profile, he likely wouldn't have been a D on the disc profile. But he was a man that had a heart for others. Moody, on the other hand, was a very abrasive man and used colorful language when he spoke to other people, if you will. But Edward Kimball went into that Boston shoe store, and he cornered him, and he led him to Jesus Christ. He wasn't bold, and yet Moody was crude, and he was illiterate. And yet, Kimball had enough faith to go into that store, and he had no idea what would happen with Moody's life, but he was obedient. So I tell you this morning, never underestimate the power of obedience. I want to tell you, he saw the value of individual people, but he also saw the value of insignificant gifts. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. And I know this is kind of out of character for what we do, but... Um, in, in John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, I want to reference that, step out of this text for a minute. But in John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, we see again another account of Andrew's life and how he brought the one to Jesus Christ. Sometime later in the ministry of Jesus, when he was doing miracles and training the disciples, Andrew did what he did best, and that was bring his one to Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Some of us know the story uh, in the New Testament about uh, Jesus and the miracles that he performed, and maybe you've heard before the miracle of 5,000, and some of you likely may not have ever heard that story before, but Jesus was teaching a group of people. The the Bible says that there was about 5,000 men in the audience, and and, and historically when the Scriptures were written, 5,000 men or 5,000 people didn't include the women and children, so there potentially could have been fifteen to 20,000 people in this audience. Are you guys with me? I mean, that's just some crazy stuff. And Jesus testing his disciples says, hey, you know, we need to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to feed these people. Philip gets overwhelmed by the, the, the task. He's like, well, man, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's send them all home. And Jesus is like, we can't just send them home. There's no, there's no chipotle, no mod pizza on the way home, you know. They can't stop and, and, and get a cheeseburger at Burger King or one of those impossible veggie burgers that I hope no one ever buys, you know? We, I ain't hating on vegans today. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> if I want a hamburger, I want some meat. Can I get a hamburger? <laughs> mm. So they couldn't just roll out. Like, they couldn't just roll out and stop by and get a, you know, a fast food sandwich. So Andrew rolls up and says, hey, Jesus, I found this kid. He's got a Hebrew Happy Meal, Right? I know I'm using the vernacular of the day. This kid's got a Hebrew Happy Meal. Could we use that? I'm your Jesus. What can you do with this? And God multiplied the generosity of this young man. To make an impact, we bring people and we bring possessions to Jesus. Andrew understood this. He understood the value of bringing the individual, but he also understood the value of bringing those possessions and sacrificing them and laying them out before the Son of God. You know, it is kind of the way of God uh, to use what the world would throw away or to consider insignificant. No one probably even noticed that little boy. No one probably even noticed who he was or what he was doing. No one probably noticed that he had the the fish and the the loaves. No one noticed that, but I'm going to tell you Andrew did. Andrew noticed that young man, and I want to tell you, Sometimes we overlook the young people, and I want to tell you today, they often can be used of God in greater ways than even some of us adults can be used. He saw the value, man, of this young man. He saw the the value of his generosity. 
It's the way of God to use what the world would throw away or to consider to be insignificant. No one, listen, no one, no one in the kingdom of God is considered uh, insignificant and no one is considered to be beyond redemption. This morning, you may never have your name put on the side of a building, but I'm going to tell you, if you invest your life in people and you use your possessions and seeing others brought to Jesus, you leave a legacy that will impact others and have, a, have an eternal impact on, on, on people. And so God's ability to use the gift is in no way hindered or enhanced by the size of that gift. Some of you this morning, some of you don't give generously, in part because you're like, man, what, is my, what does my $10 uh, matter? What is my $100? What is my gift? There's other people. Hey, listen, man, when you give your stuff to God and when you unleash your possessions and what little you have into the kingdom of God, he multiplies it in ways that are supernatural and in a way that ind- impacts individuals for the cause of Christ. And he takes the sacrificial, he takes the seemingly insignificant gifts of people who give faithfully and he multiplies them to accomplish monumental things. What's so fascinating to me, though, is God works in the mundane and in the ordinary. You know, we're always waiting to hit the home run, right? We're looking for the home run hit. And God just wants us to get on base. God just wants us to live our lives. And while we may go through this life, and, and, and very few people on this side of heaven may know us, but I'm going to tell you, if you'll stay faithful to God, if you'll sacrifice what God has entrusted to you, and if you'll notice the individuality of the people that God has allowed into your life, you will be known on the other side as one who is good and faithful for the kingdom, and for the sake of the gospel. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. That one day when we transfer from this life to the next, when we would hear our Savior, when we would hear our Master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, our generosity in this church is touching lives. We're going to talk about missions next month. Just yesterday, we met with all of our ministry leads, and we're thinking and considering and praying about expanding uh, into maybe two services, expanding um, our facilities, praying about expanding into church planning and, and looking at how we can saturate Chicago and our neighborhoods and our villages with churches that are preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. In the Southern Baptist, Baptist Convention right now, 75 to 80% of the churches that are make up uh, uh, the cooperative program are either plateaued or declining. And what you see in this room today is an anomaly when it comes to most churches that are a part of the SBC, and to to be frank, uh, a part of any denomination. So let's not take for granted what God is doing in this place. Amen? God is doing an amazing work, and your generosity is at work as God multiplies it. It's not easy. It's not glamorous, but it's the calling of God. And our small gifts in the hands of God makes the difference for others, and you will never, listen, man, you'll never regret being faithful God. Andrew saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. And lastly, this morning, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew's the picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places. He's the, he's the only, he only appears nine times in the entire New Testament. Nine times. And most, men, when, when he's most often mentioned, he's just mentioned in passing, like, oh yeah, Andrew was here. <laughs> Like he was there. He didn't really do anything. He was just there. In our culture, we often want 
to know what's in it for me. We want to be recognized. We want to be noticed. We want to be appreciated. I, I get that. But I'm going to tell you, that wasn't on Andrew's radar. Andrew wasn't concerned about being known by men. He was concerned about being known by God. He was most concerned about making sure that he had a walk with God. He was most concerned that other people had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And while his name wasn't uh, inked into the pages of scriptures, that wasn't his concern. He was most concerned that people knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. In God's kingdom, we serve an almighty God who shares his glory with no one. He alone is the one that we serve, and we do it not for him, or, or not for others to notice, but we do it for him. In Ephesians chapter 6, 6, the Bible says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants. It's a nice way of saying a slave of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, sometimes, do you, does it feel like sometimes you just go unnoticed? Does sometimes does it feel like no one ever sees the good that you do? Does it sometimes even in the church sometimes feel like, man, you know, the pastors don't tell me how awesome I am. I just don't know if I want to keep doing this. And I, I don't know if my husband really appreciates how faithful I'm being and on the work that I'm doing. My kids don't know how, how, how good I am to them. And sometimes it just feels like no one notices the good that you do. I can feel that way. But God says this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Friend, one day there's going to be a reckoning day. And for those of us who are Christians and those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. And for those of us who are Christians, now, when I was a kid, I grew up, you know, uh, in scary church, you know. I'm just being honest. And I think this is a great motivator for kids back in the day. But in scary church, they'd be like, now, kids, one day when you get to heaven, this was before, you know, all of this stuff, right? And so they said, kids, one day when you get to heaven, there's going to be a big screen, and everything that you, some of you are nodding your heads. <laughs> One day, big screen, everything you've ever done, everyone's going to say, I, I did some messed up stuff, right? And even though I knew that, I still did some messed up stuff, right? That didn't motivate me at all. But I'm going to tell you, what that verse really means is this, because I'm going to tell you, when you get saved, the Bible says that God takes your sins as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. We're not here to scare people. We're not here to motivate people. We're not here to sensationalize what the Bible. We're here to teach what the Bible actually says. What the scriptures teach us is that one day we're going to stand before God as followers of Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to reward those of us who have followed him. That's called the Bema Seat of Christ. And the Bible teaches us there's crowns for those who faithfully serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Friends, I want to tell you, that's going to be a great day for a lot of us. When I think about it, I think about, you know, the opportunity one day that I'm going to have to see my dad again. And I grew up in a home where my dad was abusive. I believe he knew Christ as a Savior. But I'm going to one day be able to have a, a, a cognizant conversation with my dad. I, I'm going to be able to see Bev Kovar again. And I'm going to be able to see Jerry. And I'm going to be able to see Sheila Egger. And I can go on and on down the list of folks in our church who have passed from this life to the next, and I'm going to be able to see them one day. I told our leaders yesterday, I'm a, I got some questions for God. I just got some things. Not really God. I want to talk to Moses a little bit, you know. I'm like, man, when you were going through the Red Sea, like, were fish, like, hanging out, you know, did you be like, that's messed up. Like, did you do that? Like, I would, you know. I, I think it's going to be incredible. 
But I know one thing, one thing that I long for. One day when I stand before God, I hope and trust that my motivations on this earth and on th- in this life were according to the word of God so that when I pass from this life to the next, he could say, well done, good and faithful servant. I may never be known nationally. I may never be known globally. And guess what? That's okay with me. But I can't wait till we get to the other side. We can hang out and hang out with Jesus and worship him and, and glorify him for all eternity. Because that life is way better than the life that we have right now. We need to be reminded that we didn't, get just, we didn't just get saved from something. We got saved for something. And Andrew understood that. And he didn't care about what people thought about him. He didn't care whether or not he was popular. He didn't care whether or not he was known. And we spend so much time uh, in life on social media trying to get likes and people that are friends, Right? on social media, and we, and we do that. We act in certain ways to fit in with certain crowds, and we, I, I've got two teenage girls, and they're so often concerned about, well, if I try out for this sport, then I'll have this group of friends, and if I do this, then I'll, who cares, man? What all, the only thing that matters is whether or not you're using your God-given abilities to do the will of God and fulfill your purpose in this life. That's it. I want us to understand this morning, kind of through the eyes of Andrew, what others see as an insignificant, what others see as insignificant, God will use to make an impact. Andrew, Andrew could dial in in a way that I wish I could, and he saw an individual. He saw this person far from God. He saw this person that was likely forgotten, and he could bring them into a And I'm sure Andrew brought more people to Christ than the ones that we even see in Scripture. Man, he saw that. It may be a person. It may be some possession that you have this morning. He, could, he saw this value of insignificant gifts. He didn't care who knew him. And I want to tell you, God will use us. and God will use what is in front of us to see the life-transforming message of the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. I, I, I know, man, some of you probably think I'm nuts sometimes. But you know, I, our church is having an impact globally. Do you know we're reaching people around the world? We got missionaries in Lebanon. We got missionaries in Brazil. We've got missionaries in London. Uh, we've got a missionary right now in Amsterdam, Corey O'Grady. We're going to hear from him in a couple weeks, man. And he he's he's rocking it there in Amsterdam. Telling Amsterdam, you've been to Amsterdam. I have. You know what they do there? Like that's crazy town there. And he's got a gospel-centered, gospel-preaching church right in the heart of Amsterdam. And our church is helping to fun the gospel being spread to the ends of the earth and we're seeing it spread in our communities we're baptizing six adults next week and listen friends i just want to add like we're not here to guilt you or shame you or say hey you know if you don't tell people about jesus you're not a good christian look none of us are good christians we're all kind of posers right we're just a broken people right following christ trying to make progress and not be perfect and i'm just here to challenge you and inspire you and encourage you to do what God has already called you to do. I'm here to say, hey, listen, we're already on the winning side. Let's get in the game and be a part of what God is already doing. Do you want to do that? And that's really the challenge this morning. Where others see insignificance, we see value. You see potential. You see possibility. God will give us eyes to see and faithfully be obedient to him. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Proverbs 26. It says, many, 
men, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. Another way of saying that, many, many men, will, they proclaim their own faithfulness. Oh, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at how committed I am. But the Bible says a faithful man who can find. If you can find someone that's faithful, you found a lot, right? And if anything could be said about your life, if it could be said that you were faithful, like in the life of Andrew, a man who ultimately had been touched by the message of Jesus Christ. Not many people knew him. He wasn't celebrated like Paul and Moses and others, but he was used to touch the lives of thousands because he touched the life of one. He was faithful. A faithful man who can find. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, the Bible says, One who is faithful in in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. And friends, I want to tell you, instead of focusing on how daunting the Great Commission is, focus on one person. Can we just do that? From now to the end of the year, can we just focus on one person? And in a few, this next month, we're going to focus on missions, and we're going to focus on the world. Seven billion people. There's over 6,000. Are you with me? 6,000 unreached people groups in the world. Meaning, meaning, there's 6,000 groups of people in the world that have little to no access to the gospel. I don't know about you, but that just seems like a lot. And this morning, God's call for you and me is to focus on one. So we've got our missions conference. We've got our fall fest coming up. We've got Christmas coming up. Hey, listen, all these events, all these seasons and these rhythms in our calendar are an opportunity for us to see people on-ramped into the kingdom of God and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God is at work. God is all into saving people. He's all into seeing people go public with their faith. And I don't know about you, but I went in on that. And I hope and pray and trust that you, too, would join in on what God has called you to do and what God has called us to do as a church.